Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello Buglers, it's producer Chris here. We're back in a few days, but it's Lent slash Hanukkah slash all the other good things. So here's some excellent unheard moments from recent records. Before that though, we are touring the UK in the spring. Get tickets at thebuglepodcast.com. Plus, OMG, all these great announcements. I'm so excited about what I'm about to say. Paid subscribers, you get the third Ask Andy in your feed next week. And top tier super buglers, we have recorded your exclusive vinyl only show. You have until the end of the year to become a top tier subscriber and get your name on the artwork. Does it contain the audio cryptic crossword? Well, possibly. It was recorded. Will it make the edit? Who knows? 50 50. Now, on to the fun. We've got some great clips from recent shows, including Alice Fraser, Stuart Lee, Felicity Ward, James Nikise, Mark Steele, and of course, Andrew Zaltzman. Play the tape. Other environment news now, and, um, well, uh, icebergs are on the move. Uh, our civilization, of course, uh, as we've heard repeatedly on this show and uh, from our uh, former Home Secretary, Suella Bravman, over and over again, our way of life is under threat from things and people coming over here and taking everything from us. And now the uh, one of the world's biggest icebergs is heading north and threatening our our shores the uh, romantically named a23a uh, uh, <laughs> made its first break for freedom from antarctica in 1986 thinking there must be more to life than this but it hadn't properly planned its escape route and got stuck but now the 15,000 square mile frozen whopper um uh, which is quite literally bigger than jesus um and in fact bigger than jesus greater london and new york city combined is rampaging northwards uh i mean are you as terrified as i am by this well you know, you've, you've attributed motive to the iceberg. Yep. You said it's coming over here to the, but actually, you've got to look at where it's coming from. It's coming from somewhere called the Weddell Sea, right? right? And the Weddell <laughs> Sea was described in 1950 by Thomas R. Henry as, according to the testimony of all who have sailed through its berg-filled waters, it is the most treacherous and dismal region on Earth. So it may be that um, that the, the icebergs just want a bit of a holiday, you know. <laughs> And like see the world of it, and get not just not just the Weddell Sea. In fact, I believe it was Samuel Johnson who said, "When an iceberg is tired of the Weddell Sea, <laughs> it is tired of life." But yeah, the the Weddell Sea has not got a lot going for it. It's got a gyre in it, you know, when the thing that sucks all stuff in, and it, I mean, there's, it's just wants a break. I think right. the iceberg from the Weddell Sea. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> it's I mean the Weddell Sea. The Weddell Sea is the opposite of the. Very big sea. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. No need to apologise. <laughs> if, if described by Elmer Fudd from yeah, the Bugs Bunny cartoons. That's yeah, right. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, so it's the A23A. Yeah. That's the name. Of, I think I broke down there once. <laughs> I, I was thinking um, of it being described, the iceberg is was stuck to the ocean floor. Yeah. And I think about it as like when I have a night out and I'm wearing high heels and I'm walking along and then I get my foot stuck in a grate and then I've got to slowly go back and sort of jiggle it and take it out. Maybe that is what's happened to the ocean floor, but it's happening at a glacial pace. Right, okay. So that's actually what's happened. I see. That or um, the ocean is warming up 
and the iceberg wants to move somewhere colder than the Antarctic, so it may be slowly heading towards Suella Braverman's heart. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. I mean, I guess in terms, you know, uh, looking at this as a, as a posit- positive for the world, is it possible that this giant iceberg, 400 metres thick, uh, could be coaxed up the west coast of Africa, then forced through the Straits of Gibraltar, and plonked at the far end of the Mediterranean to literally cool the Middle East situation down. Do you think, I mean, is a massive iceberg really the only way to lasting peace in the Middle East now? It's possible. It might take some time, though. Right. I don't know if you've ever seen an iceberg in a hurry, but it's still imperceptible to the human eye. Right. Mm. Well, another uh, positive environmental story, apart from escaped icebergs, is that eating chips can save the planet. That's the headline from this week's news that a transatlantic flight powered by used cooking oil managed to do one better than the Titanic and make it all the way across the Atlantic, a Boeing 787 potato its way from London to New York without killing a single fossil using sustainable aviation fuel. Now, is this a classic case of corporate greenwashing and grandstanding? Is it a distraction from the bigger challenges of properly decarbonising our economies and our ways of life? Or is it a genuine breakthrough? Yes, yes, and yes. Three out of three. <laughs> got to be- Got to be happy with that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I mean, if you can if you can power it on oil that hasn't been got out of the ground, then that's great. But you, it, but we're gonna we're gonna need a lot of used cooking oil to yeah. do that. So we have to think of other sources of non got out of the ground oil. I right. thought you could get oil that has been milked out of Eamon Holmes's face <laughs> <laughs> on a daily basis to right. fly it. To fly it. But yeah, it's, but it is it is great because it means we can keep having our holidays. I th- look, I think it's great for the British people. British people absolutely love using oil. They love it. I was shocked when I came over here and saw people cooking their whole breakfast in two inches of oil. Imagine if you're a British pilot. You finish your fry up, you go back to the kitchen, you grab the pan, you walk outside, you open the little petrol flap on the plane, and then you just pour it in and <laughs> off you go. My concern is for flight sabotage because it means... In the middle of the flight, if the plane explodes in the air, all the remnants of the passengers will unfortunately taste delicious. <laughs> oh, no, but that might be good in one of those situations where everyone ends up in the Andes and has to eat each other. They've That's sort of right. been pre-marinated. Delicious. Yeah. Oh, this is so sad. Crunch. <laughs> Doesn't even need seasoning. <laughs> we're, in the, we're, we're in the dead sea. Everyone's got salt on them already. Ow. <laughs> Um, uh, I mean, I guess a much greener and longer-term solution would be to alter the human genome so that whatever gene gives us geographical curiosity and the desire to travel the world is removed completely from our species. So you basically make everyone American. Or an axolotl, yeah. which would live in the same f***ing lake for thousands of years and never go anywhere. Staring into the abyss, yeah. weird little animals. Yeah. Hashtag be more axolotl. <laughs> Other animal health news, and, um, well, jellyfish uh, have been getting stressed. It's not just uh, humans that are dealing with uh, the heightened anxieties of modern life. Jellyfish are too, and it's been, uh, apparently, uh, mining, deep-sea mining is causing them stress. This is like Arthur Scargill versus Margaret Thatcher all over again, but at the bottom of the sea with with jellyfish. Um, I mean, I guess it must be quite hard 
Uh, this is another scientific experiment, uh, maybe slightly more use than rat boners in space. But um, it's, it must be quite hard to tell when a jellyfish is stressed because they don't often look stressed. <laughs> but, it's, but it is also quite hard to read the inner thoughts of a faceless sea globster with alarmingly 1970s-style wandering tentacles that looks uncannily like the unwanted love child of an overpriced umbrella and some forgotten Christmas macrame. But obviously the scientists have managed to do this. Increasingly, uh, companies are looking to mine minerals from the depths uh, of the ocean uh, because, uh, despite the fact, fundamentally, no one knows what is really happening at the bottom of the ocean, uh, but it's almost certainly not to be trusted and full of weird creatures with waggly bits that you don't want to see banging on your window at 4am. But crucially, there are these precious minerals lurking there too, meaning that it has the full undivided attention of the world. These uh, minerals could be uh, uh, used to make, for example, a scrunchable iPad so that you can screw it up and throw it at a wall like you would a normal piece of paper after losing a game of noughts and crosses against yourself. So, uh, I mean, this is... I mean, it does seem that there is, however well creatures hide themselves, whether it's the absolute bottom of the ocean, humans will still find a way to f*** up their lives for them. Yes, they, they measure the stress in these jellyfish by uh, uh, faking out... Uh plumes of sediment in a controlled environment seeing how the jellyfish reacted because that replicates what happens if there's mining happening on the ocean floor and these these jellyfish produced excessive amounts of a protective mucus uh, and uh, also sort of healing um, enzymes in their bodies and I, I find it incredibly inspiring Andy the idea that I could protect myself by covering myself in a coating of mucus um, <laughs> So I feel like I'm going to launch a new safety product for walking alone at night, which is just... Oh, yes, mucosoid. (laughs) (laughs) Procter and Gamble. Yeah, so one hand you've got the mace, you're spraying them. The other hand you've got the mucus, you're spraying yourself. Mmm, I felt so safe this weekend. Yeah, I don't know how you get a stressed jellyfish. Do they get all their bits tangled or something? Yeah. Like when your laces get in a mess. No, no, they just look they just look calm and then they take it out on their wife and kids later. (laughs) Yeah. In other uh, Britain news, um, the government's net zero minister has claimed that oil and gas are not the problem uh, for uh, for the climate. Um, Alice um, you are a fan of science and logic and hope and the future, as you are incubating another um, person that's going to have to live through the future. Um, can you uh, un- explain wh- wh- why the Net Zero Minister was right that oil and gas are not at all the problem? I mean, he's saying oil and gas are not the problem for the climate, but the carbon emissions arising from them are, right. which is some uh, some word chopping, the likes of which I have not seen uh, <laughs> since so- somebody put all of the words into a blender. Uh, I assume it's, it's sort of a guns don't kill people argument, like climate change doesn't kill people, trying to breathe toxic chemicals while underwater or on fire <laughs> kills people. I sort of don't understand what the point is other than to be a smarmy f- Like, I don't... Who's he convincing of what? Well, what he said, he, he just wants us to gather up oil and gas and make statues out of it and fondle it in the darkness? Like, I don't understand. Oh, I, th- I think... Well, yeah, I mean, I th- I'm in favour of that. Certainly, fondling statues in darkness, <laughs> I think, might be... I think it might be our national motto, actually. And certainly, it's something that <laughs> numerous members of the government have been caught doing. Um, LAUGHTER 
This is why you're banned from the Museum of Cricket. You know that. <laughs> I, I, do not tell me there is not at least five members of the current Conservative government that have not fondled the statue of Robert Clive outside the Home Office at the dead of night. <laughs> at, at least five, possibly more. Um, he said, I don't think um, supply is the key driver. It's demand we need to focus on. And I guess, you know, if if you wipe out humanity, that demand is going to drop. So, I mean, can we... Is he barking at the right burglar here? And when we're talking about uh, supply and demand, Andy, why are we not focusing on the and part of the sentence? Can we get some research into the... What, what is this man trying to achieve other than to reduce the, the aggregate meaning of any word use out of a human mouth for the future of mankind? I really... If I were there, I would want to kick him in the knees and run away. Like I just... <laughs> Which also begs the question, are those people outside in tents actually homeless people or are they people working for the minister of net zero <laughs> trying to decrease the demand? Yes. Well, it just it bespeaks this frustrating unwillingness to engage with the actual issues in favour of uh, sound bites and uh, little point scoring that are going to happen in the public forum. And that's irritating in day-to-day -day life. It's irritating when it happens in, in favour of, instead of political policies being put through. But it is far worse when the thing that's on the line is the actual earth. <laughs> In other food news, uh, China has apparently grown lettuce and tomatoes on its space station. Now, I personally, I cannot fathom the logic of trying to do this. When you think of who astronauts are, they are kids who never grew up, fundamentally. Oh, I want to be an astronaut. Well, the rest of us grew up and got proper jobs. <coughs> um, but these overgrown fantasists ended up waddling around in spacesuits pretending to do scientific research whilst actually just imagining ne negotiating with aliens and being constantly fascinated by zero-gravity toilets. These people are not going to eat vegetables. That, that is a, a fact of space travel. Astronauts are children. I'd work on chicken nuggets you can grow in space and maybe the odd sausage, possibly ice cream with sprinkles. But this is, I mean, what, what is the point of growing lettuce and tomatoes on the space station? I mean, also, it seems to me that those are the two wettest and most droplety of the salad possibilities that you could have, which in zero gravity feels like a problem to me. Yeah. Well, I can see, I mean, bits of lettuce floating around a space station, that's a, that's a nightmare, isn't it? Well, this is apparently all aimed towards having uh, China putting a pair of astronauts on the moon before 2030, which is, which is very soon. But who wants to go to the moon if you're just going to eat lettuce and tomato? I mean, <laughs> that's a long trip for a salad. <laughs> a couple of other news stories uh, now uh, before we go. Um, Alice, a uh, story from Australia. I'll just give you the headline uh, and then you can explain uh, what's going on. Man bites crocodile. Um, obviously, this is the logical endpoint of all news. Just uh, talk us through it. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the best stories because it's also one of the most Australian stories. It was a cattleman. He uh, walked towards a river to investigate some fish who were behaving oddly and a crocodile uh, bit his foot, which is, you know, usually the the beginning of a story that ends with a man dying. But in this instance, it ended with the man biting the crocodile. <laughs> Uh, on the eyelid, which I imagine is the only place a man could bite a crocodile that would cause it trouble, um, <laughs> that is within easy reach 
when you've got a foot in the crocodile's mouth. Uh, and the crocodile released him and he managed to make it to a hospital and is now fine and will apparently walk out within the next week or so. The biggest danger, of course, being that uh, crocodiles don't brush their teeth um, and, and his foot got badly infected. But I feel like that's, you know, the best case scenario for your foot getting bitten by a crocodile. Uh, one final very important item uh, of news... Um, James, I know this particularly um, got your, your attention. Patrick Dempsey, the um, actor. Is he an actor? He is an actor, isn't he? I've, I've never heard of him, actually, before. He is an actor. Um, You've never heard of Patrick Dempsey? <laughs> no. Patrick, my, my God. He doesn't play sport, does he? Uh, Patrick Dempsey. He's a, he's a motor... He's, a, he's, he's the one actor who's an actual athlete in oh, motor really? racing. All right. Well, there we go. Um, uh, Patrick Dempsey has heroically... Um, won the sexiest man alive title um seeing off the challenges of amongst others uh david attenborough the nonagenarian wildlife snooping zebra death glamorizing insect sex voyeur uh, antonio guterres the hangdog sad face global crisis station and blues man um <laughs> the uh, un secretary general bit hackneyed for people to lust after their secretary um but uh, anyway he was uh, he, he missed out uh, former uk health secretary and baffling bafflingly persistent polyp on the public teat matt hancock and he also uh, saw off uh, pilau snork the fictitious entrepreneur who this week launched a new social media app called block that automatically blocks anyone who either posts anything or looks at something someone else has posted very much ahead of its time also claims to have developed a powdered internet service you just have to add water for a 5g signal but patrick dempsey has won he's also beaten off um sorry he's also beaten off the challenges of uh well you james and me and uh, and producer chris for sexiest man alive how, how did he do it and why well i think we've all had the patrick dempsey beats you off dream at one point or another <laughs> in our lives and it's uh well, I, he's, he's, he's taken the title. No one saw it coming. He didn't see it coming. No one's quite sure why it's, it's happened. Um, Sire Khaleesi, the South African rugby captain, uh, exists. Uh, <laughs> rugby rugby purists would probably point out uh, Adi Zavir, uh, right. the world rugby player of the year. But uh, as he's my cousin, I don't really <laughs> want to promote him for being super sexy right. uh, in the general public yeah. i just whisper it in his ear to give him the moral support he needs <laughs> after world cup loss uh, but it's I, it's weird that the award is still going it's weird that patrick dempsey got it but since he's 57 years old oh, and winning right. it I, I feel it gives hope uh, to many of us in yep. our late 30s early 40s Late, late 40s. Late, I'm going to go late 40s for me. Uh, yeah. Very late 40s. Uh, oh, you know, and we should never forget that the, the two, I think I think it was the two, three first winners uh, back in the 80s were Mel Gibson uh, and Sean Connery. So clearly an award for all men to aspire to. <laughs> <laughs> to join it's a beautiful thing. He's, yeah. a, he's a 57-year-old actor, which is like 30 in woman years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's gone up. That's progress. Um, look, I mean, I, I don't know how it's judged. Uh, I mean, I've never seen Patrick Dempsey unfurl, unfurl a sumptuous one-handed backhand up the line or uh, or lean on a perfectly timed uh, drive through extra cover. So, frankly, I'm, I, I don't understand why he's made it to the top of this list. But, you know, there, there we go. But... Um, 
you know, jokes aside, he's no Jimmy Anderson. Uh, and you know he really he really isn't a Jimmy Anderson, and I feel uh, Jimmy's Jimmy's played long enough now. It's the one accolade that he doesn't have. Yep. Um, and that's uh, not, not enough people have been exposed to him. But also, why can't we break the mold? Why can't we get, you know, someone uh, someone less conventionally sexy to be the the sexiest man yep. alive? You know, some sort of uh, podcast host, <laughs> uh, maybe of a. Uh, satirical new show yeah, uh, okay, yeah. I can, i'm right on board with that um yeah we could go go alongside because i've got my my uh my various uh my trophy cabin i've got the least sexiest man alive title from a couple of years ago so to get the sexiest man alive title that'll be that'll go, go nicely alongside it uh, the sexiest podcaster uh podcasting man alive was taylor lautner who played the werewolf in twilight so i feel like i have to dismiss <laughs> <laughs> all of these awards <laughs> Do you like Christmas music, Andy? No, I hate it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I thought so. I, yes. I, I still don't understand why for one month a year all commonly accepted standards of musical taste are abandoned. What about Phil Spector's A Christmas Gift for You? Because that album uh, is unbelievably really? good. Okay. Oh, yeah, that is a good album. It is. I'll listen to that in June. Really? Like an absolute psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> but he's not a very Christmassy bloke, was he, Phil Spector? <laughs> no. And he's, uh, you know, he's got the voice of a pedophile. Yeah. Like, he's not a pedophile. Well, not that I know of. Who no, knows? Uh, the voice of a murderer, maybe? Yeah, a murderer, yeah, yeah. If you really want to hear the voice of a murderer, keep listening to this outro. Thanks for listening. My own podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, is in its latest season. It's a sort of comedy show, sort of about travelling, but largely about two friends accepting they're not as clever as they once thought they were. Give it a listen now. See you soon. Bye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.